Section two. Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boyer. Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded. By Samuel Richardson. Section two. Letter twelve. Dear Mother, well, I will now proceed with my sad story. And so, after I had dried my eyes, I went in, and began to ruminate with myself what I had best to do. Sometimes I thought I would leave the house and go to the next town, and wait an opportunity to get to you. But then I was at a loss to resolve whether to take away the things he had given me or no, and how to take them away. Sometimes I thought to leave them behind me, and go only with the clothes on my back but then I had two miles and a half, and a byway to the town, and being pretty well dressed I might come to some harm, almost as bad as what I would run away from. And then may be, thought I, it will be reported, I have stolen something, and so was forced to run away, and to carry a bad name back with me to my dear parents would be a sad thing indeed. Oh, how I wished for my grey russet again, and my poor honest dress, with which you fitted me out, and hard enough too it was for you to do it, for going to this place when I was not twelve years old in my good lady's days. Sometimes I thought of telling Mrs. Jervis, and taking her advice, but only feared his command to be secret, for, thought I, he may be ashamed of his actions, and never attempt the like again. And as poor Mrs. Jervis depended upon him through misfortunes that had attended her, I thought it would be a sad thing to bring his displeasure upon her for my sake. In this quandary, now considering, now crying, and not knowing what to do, I passed the time in my chamber till evening. When desiring to be excused going to supper, Mrs. Jervis came up to me and said, Why must I sup without you, Pamela? Come, I see you are troubled at something. Tell me what is the matter. I begged I might be permitted to be with her on nights, for I was afraid of spirits, and they would not hurt such a good person as she. That was a silly excuse, she said, for why was you not afraid of spirits before? Indeed, I did not think of that. But you shall be my bedfellow with all my heart, added she. Let your reason be what it will. Only come down to supper. I begged to be excused, for, said I, I have been crying so that it will be taken notice of by my fellow-servants, and I will hide nothing from you, Mrs. Jervis, when we are alone. She was so good to indulge me, but made haste to come to bed, and told the servants that I should be with her, because she could not rest well, and would get me to read her to sleep, for she knew I loved reading, she said. When we were alone I told her all that had passed, for I thought, though he had bid me not, Yet if he should come to know I had told, it would be no worse. For to keep a secret of such a nature would be, as I apprehended, to deprive myself of the good advice which I never wanted more, and might encourage him to think I did not resent it as I ought, and would keep worse secrets, and so make him do worse by me. Was I right, my dear mother? Mrs. Jervis could not help mingling tears with my tears, for I cried all the time I was telling her the story, and begged her to advise me what to do. 
and I showed her my dear father's two letters, and she praised the honesty and the editing of them, and said pleasing things to me of you both. But she begged I would not think of leaving my service, for, said she, in all likelihood, you behave so virtuously that he will be ashamed of what he has done, and never offer the like to you again. Though, my dear Pamela, said she, I fear more for your prettiness than for anything else, because the best man in the land might love you, so she was pleased to say. She wished it was in her power to live independent, then she would take a little private house, and I should live with her like her daughter. And so, as you ordered me to take her advice, I resolved to tarry to see how things went, except he was to turn me away although in your first letter you ordered me to come away the moment I had any reason to be apprehensive. So, dear father and mother, it is not disobedience, I hope, that I stay, for I could not expect a blessing or the good fruits of your prayers for me if I was disobedient. All the next day I was very sad, and began my long letter. He saw me writing, and said, as I mentioned, to Mrs. Jervis, That girl is always scribbling. Methinks she might find something else to do, or to that purpose. And when I had finished my letter, I put it under the toilet in my late lady's dressing-room, whither nobody comes but myself and Mrs. Jervis, besides my master. But when I came up again to seal it, to my great concern it was gone, and Mrs. Jervis knew nothing of it, and nobody knew of my master's having been near the place in the time. So I have been sadly troubled about it. But Mrs. Jervis, as well as I, thinks he has it, somehow or other, and he appears cross and angry, and seems to shun me as much as he said I did him. It had better be so than worse. But he has ordered Mrs. Jervis to bid me not pass so much time in writing, which is a poor matter for such a gentleman as he to take notice of, as I am not idle in other ways, if he did not resent what he thought I wrote upon and this has no very good look. But I am a good deal easier since I lie with Mrs. Jervis, though, after all, the fears I live in on one side, and his frowning and displeasure of what I do on the other, make me more miserable than enough. Oh, that I had never left my little bed in the loft, to be thus exposed to temptations on one hand, or disgusts on the other! How happy was I a while ago! How contrary now! Pity and pay for your afflicted Pamela. Letter 13 My dearest child, our hearts bleed for your distress and the temptations you are exposed to. You have our hourly prayers, and we would have you flee this evil great house and man if you find he renews his attempts. You ought to have done it at first, had you not had Mrs. Jervis to advise with. We can find no fault in your conduct hitherto but it makes our hearts ache for fear of the worst. Oh, my child, temptations are sore things, but yet, without them, we know not ourselves nor what we are able to do. Your danger is very great, for you have riches, youth, and a fine gentleman, as the world reckons him, to withstand. But how great will be your honor to withstand them, and when we consider your past conduct and your virtuous education, and that you have been bred to be more ashamed of dishonesty than poverty, we trust in God that he will enable you to overcome. Yet, as we can't see but your life must be a burden to you, through the great apprehensions always upon you, 
and that it may be presumptuous to trust too much to our own strength, and that you are but very young, and the devil may put it into his heart to use some stratagem, of which great men are full, to decoy you. I think you'd better come home to share our poverty with safety, than live with so much discontent and plenty. That itself may be dangerous. God direct you for the best. While you have Mrs. Jervis for an adviser and bedfellow, and, oh, my dear child, that was prudently done of you. We are easier than we should be, and so committing you to the divine protection, remain your loving but careful father and mother. Letter 14 Dear Father and Mother, Mrs. Jervis and I have lived very comfortably together for this fortnight past, for my master was all that time his Lincolnshire estate, and is at his sister's the Lady Davers but he came home yesterday. He had some talk with Mrs. Jervis soon after, and mostly about me. He said to her, it seems, Well, Mrs. Jervis, I know Pamela has your good word, but do you think her of any use in the family? She told me she was surprised at the question, but said that I was one of the most virtuous and industrious young creatures that ever she knew. Why that word virtuous, said he, I pray you. Was there any reason to suppose her otherwise? or has anybody taken it into his head to try her? I wonder, sir, says she, you ask such a question. Who dare offer anything to her in such an orderly and well-governed house as yours, and under a master of so good a character for virtue and honor? Your servant, Mrs. Jervis, says he, for your good opinion. But pray, if anybody did, do you think Pamela would let you know it? Why, sir, says she, she is a poor, innocent young creature, and I believe has so much confidence in me that she would take my advice as soon as she would her mother's. Innocent, again, and virtuous, I warrant. Well, Mrs. Jervis, you are abound with your epithets, but I take her to be an artful young baggage, and had I a young handsome butler or steward, she'd soon make her market of one of them, and she thought it worth while to snap at him for a husband. Lack a day, sir, said she, it is early days with Pamela, and she does not yet think of a husband, I dare say. And your steward and butler are both men in years, and think nothing of the matter. No, said he, if they were younger, they'd have more wit than to think of such a girl. I'll tell you of my mind of her, Mrs. Jervis. I don't think this same favorite of yours is so very artless a girl as you imagine. I'm not to dispute with your honor, said Mrs. Jervis, but I dare say if the men will let her alone, she'll never trouble herself about them. Why, Mrs. Jervis, said he, are there any men that will not let her alone that you know of? No, indeed, sir, said she. She keeps herself so much to herself, and yet behaves so prudently, that they all esteem her, and show her as great a respect as if she were a gentlewoman born. Ay, says he, that's her art that I was speaking of. But let me tell you the girl has vanity and conceit, and pride, too, or I am mistaken. And perhaps I could give you an instance of it. Sir, said she, you can see farther than such a poor silly woman as I am, but I never saw anything but innocence in her, and virtue too, I warrant ye, said he. But suppose I should give you an instance where she talked a little too freely of the kindnesses that have been shown her from a certain quarter, and has had the vanity to impute a few kind words, uttered in mere compassion to her youth and circumstances, into a design upon her and even dared to make free with names that she ought never to mention, but with reverence and gratitude. What would you say to that? Say, sir, says she, I cannot tell what to say, 
but I hope Pamela incapable of such ingratitude. Well, no more of this silly girl, says he. You may only advise her, as you are her friend, not to give herself too much license upon the favours she meets with. And if she stays here, that she will not write the affairs of my family purely for an exercise to her pen, and her invention. I tell you she's a subtle, artful gypsy, and time will show it to you. Was ever the like heard, my dear father and mother? It is plain he did not expect to meet with such a repulse and mistrust that I have told Mrs. Jervis, and it has my long letter, too, that I intended for you, and so it's vexed to the heart. But I can't help it. I'd better be thought artful and subtle than be so in his sense, and as light as he makes of the words virtue and innocence in me, he would have made a less angry construction had I less deserved that he should do so. For then, may be, my crime should have been my virtue with him, a naughty gentleman, as he is. I will soon write again, but must now end with saying that I am, and shall always be, your honest daughter. Letter 15 Dear Mother, I broke off abruptly my last letter, for I feared he was coming, and so it happened. I put the letter in my bosom, and took up my work, which lay by me but I had so little of the artful, as he called it, that I looked as confused as if I had been doing some great harm. Sit still, Pamela, said he, mind your work, for all me. You don't tell me I'm welcome home after my journey to Lincolnshire. It would be hard, sir, said I, if you was not always welcome to your honour's own house. I would have gone, but he said, don't run away, I tell you. I have a word or two to say to you. Good sirs, how my heart went pit-a-pat. When I was a little kind to you, said he, in the summer-house, and you carried yourself so foolishly upon it, as if I had intended to do you great harm, did I not tell you you should take no notice of what passed to any creature? And you two have made a common talk of the matter, not considering either my reputation or your own. I made a common talk of it, sir, said I. I have nobody to talk to, hardly. He interrupted me and said, Hardly, you little equivocator. What do you mean by hardly? Let me ask you, have you not told Mrs. Jervis for one? Pray, Your Honour, said I, all in agitation, let me go down, for it is not for me to hold an argument with Your Honour. Equivocator again, said he, and took my hand. What do you talk of an argument? Is it holding an argument with me to answer a plain question? Answer me what I ask. Oh, good sir, said I, let me beg you will not urge me farther for fear I forget myself again, and be saucy. Answer me, then I bid you, says he, have you not told Mrs. Jervis? It will be saucy in you if you don't answer me directly to what I ask. Sir, said I, and fain would have pulled my hand away, perhaps I should be for answering you by another question, and that would not become me. What is it you would say, replies he, speak out. Then, sir, said I, why should your honour be so angry that I should tell Mrs. Jervis, or anybody else, what passed, if you intended no harm? Well said, pretty innocent, and artless, as Mrs. Jervis calls you, said he. And is it thus you taunt and retort upon me, insolent as you are? But still I will be answered directly to my question. Why then, sir, said I, I will not tell a lie for the world. I did tell Mrs. Jervis, for my heart was almost broken, but I opened not my mouth to any other. Very well, bold face, said he, and equivocator again. 
You did not open your mouth to any other, but did you not write to some other? Why now, and please your honour, said I, for I was quite courageous just then, you could not have asked me this question if you had not taken from me my letter to my father and mother, in which I own I had broken my mind freely to them. I asked their advice and poured out forth my griefs. And so I am to be exposed, am I, said he, in my own house and out of my house to the whole world by such a sauce-box as you. No, good sir, said I, and I hope your honour won't be angry with me. It is not I that expose you, if I say nothing but the truth. So taunting again, assurance as you are, said he, I will not be thus talked to. Pray, sir, said I, of whom can a poor girl take advice, if it must not be of her father and mother? and such a good woman as Mrs. Jervis, who, for her sex's sake, should give it me when asked. Insolent, said he, and he stamped with his foot, am I to be questioned thus by such as one as you? I fell down on my knees and said, For heaven's sake, your honour, pity a poor creature that knows nothing of her duty, but how to cherish her virtue and good name. I have nothing else to trust to, and though poor and friendless here, yet I have always been taught to value honesty above my life. Here is a do with your honesty, said he, foolish girl. Is it not one part of honesty to be dutiful and grateful to your master, do you think? Indeed, sir, said I, it is impossible I should be ungrateful to your honour, or disobedient, or deserve the names of bold-face or insolent, which you call me. But when your commands are contrary to that first duty which shall ever be the principle of my life— he seemed to be moved, and rose up, and walked into the great chamber two or three turns, leaving me on my knees. And I threw my apron over my face, and laid my head on a chair, and cried as if my heart would break, having no power to stir. At last he came in again, but alas with mischief in his heart, and raising me up he said, Rise, Pamela, rise, you are your own enemy, your perverse folly will be your ruin. I tell you this, that I am very much displeased with the freedoms you have taken with my name to my housekeeper, as also to your father and mother. And you may as well have real cause to take these freedoms with me, as to make my name suffer for imaginary ones. And saying so, he offered to take me on his knee with some force. Oh, how I was terrified! I said, like as I had read in a book a night or two before, Angels and saints, and all the host of heaven, defend me, and may I never survive one moment to that fatal one in which I forfeit my innocence. Pretty fool, said he, how will you forfeit your innocence, if you are obliged to yield to a force you cannot withstand? Be easy, said he, for let the worst happen that can. You will have the merit, and I the blame, and it will be a good subject for letters to your father and mother and a tale into the bargain for Mrs. Jervis. He by force kissed my neck and lips, and said, Whoever blameth Lucretia? All the shame lay on the ravisher only, and I am content to take all the blame upon me, as I have already borne too great a share for what I have not deserved. May I, said I, Lucretia-like, justify myself of my death, if I am used barbarously. O oh, my good girl, said he tauntingly, you are well read, I see, and we shall make out between us, before he we have done, a pretty story in romance, I warrant ye. He then put his hand in my bosom, and indignation gave me double strength, and I got loose from him by a sudden spring, and ran out of the room. 
and the next chamber being open i made shift to get into it and threw to the door and it locked after me but he followed me so close he got a hold of my gown and tore a piece off which had hung without the door for the key was on the inside i just remember i got into the room for i knew nothing further of the matter till afterwards for i fell into a fit with my terror and there i lay till he as i suppose looking through the keyhole spied me upon the floor stretched out at length on my face and then he called mrs jervis to me who by his assistance bursting open the door he went away seeing me coming to myself and bid her say nothing of the matter if she was wise poor mrs jervis thought it was worse and cried over me as if she was my mother and i was two hours before i came to myself and just as i got a little up on my feet he coming in i fainted away again with the terror and so he withdrew but he stayed in the next room to let nobody come near us that his foul proceedings might not be known mrs jervis gave me her smelling bottle and had cut my laces and set me in a great chair and had and he called her to him how is the girl said he i never saw such a fool in my life i did nothing at all to her mrs jervis could not speak for crying so he said she has told you it seems that i was kind to her in the summer-house though i'll assure you i was quite innocent then as well as now and i desire you to keep this matter to yourself and let me not be named in it oh sir said she for your honour's sake and for christ's sake but he would not hear her and said for your own sake i tell you mrs jervis say not a word more i have done her no harm and i won't have her stay in my house prating perverse fool as she is but since she is so apt to fall into fits or at least pretend to do so prepare her to see me to-morrow after dinner in my mother's closet and do you be with her and you shall hear what passes between us and so he went out in a pet and ordered his chariot and four to be got ready and went a-visiting somewhere mrs jervis then came to me and i told her all that had happened and said i was resolved not to stay in the house and she replying he seemed to threaten as much i said i am glad of that then i shall be easy so she told me all that he had said to her as above mrs jervis is very loath that i should go and yet poor woman she begins to be afraid for herself but would not have had me ruined for the world she says to be sure he means no good but may be now he sees me so resolute he will give over all attempts and that i shall better know what to do after to-morrow when i am to appear before a very bad judge i doubt oh how i dread this to-morrow's appearance but be as assured my dear parents of the honesty of your poor child as i am of your prayers for your dutiful daughter oh this frightful to-morrow how i dread it letter sixteen my dear parents i know you long to hear from me soon and i send you as soon as i could well you may believe how uneasily i passed the time until his appointed hour came every minute as it grew nearer my terrors increased and sometimes i had great courage and sometimes not at all and i thought i should faint when it came to the time my master had dined i could neither eat nor drink for my part and do what i could my eyes were swelled with crying 
At last he went up to the closet, which was my good lady's dressing-room, a room I once loved, but then as much hated. Don't your heart ache for me? I am sure mine fluttered about like a new-caught bird in a cage. Oh, Pamela, said I to myself, why art thou so foolish and fearful? Thou hast done no harm. What if thou fearest an unjust judge, when thou art innocent, wouldst thou do before a just one, if thou wert guilty? Have courage, Pamela, thou knowest the worst, and how easy a choice poverty and honesty is, rather than plenty and wickedness. So I cheered myself, but yet my poor heart sunk, and my spirits were quite broken. Everything that stirred I thought was to call me to my account. I dreaded it, and yet I wished it to come. Well, at last he rung the bell. Oh, thought I, that it was my passing bell. Mrs. Jervis went up with a full heart enough, poor good woman. He said, Where's Pamela? Let her come up, and do you come with her? She came to me. I was ready to go with my feet, but my heart was with my dear father and mother, wishing to share your poverty and happiness. I went up, however. Oh, how can wicked men seem so steady and untouched with such black hearts, while poor innocents stand like malefactors before them? He looked so stern that my heart failed me, and I wished myself anywhere but there, though I had before been summoning up all my courage. Good heaven, said I to myself, give me courage to stand before this naughty master. Oh, soften him, or harden me. Come in, fool, said he angrily, as soon as he saw me, and snatched my hand with a pull. You may well be ashamed to see me after your noise and nonsense, and exposing me as you have done. I am ashamed to see you, thought I, very pretty indeed, but I said nothing. Mrs. Jervis, said he, here you are both together. Do you sit down, but let her stand, if she will. Ay, thought I, if I can, for my knees beat one against the other. Did you not think, when you saw the girl in the way you found her in, that I had given her the greatest occasion for complaint, that could possibly be given to a woman, and that I had actually ruined her, as she calls it? Tell me, could you think anything less? Indeed, said she, I feared so as my first. Has she told you what I did to her, and all I did to her to occasion all this folly, by which my reputation might have suffered in your opinion, and in that of all the family? Inform me, what has she told you? She was a little too much frightened, as she owned afterwards, at his sternness, and said, Indeed, she told me you only pulled her on your knee and kissed her. Then I plucked up my spirits a little. Only, Mrs. Jervis, said I, and was that not enough to show me what I had to fear? When a master of his honour's degree demeans himself to be so free as to such a poor servant as me, what is the next to be expected? But your honour went farther as you did, and threatened me to do what you would do, and talked of Lucretia and her hard fate. Your honour knows you went too far for a master to a servant, or even to his equal, and I cannot bear it. So I fell a-crying most sadly. Mrs. Jervis began to excuse me, and to beg he would pity a poor maiden, that had such a value for her reputation. 
he said, I speak it to her face. I think her very pretty, and I thought her humble, and one that would not grow upon my favours, or the notice I took of her. But I abhor the thoughts of forcing her to anything. I know myself better, said he, and what belongs to me. And to be sure I have enough demeaned myself to take notice of such a one as she. But I was bewitched by her, I think, to be freer than became me though I had no intention to carry the jest further. What poor stuff was all this, my dear mother, from a man of his sense! But see how a bad cause and bad actions confound the greatest wits. It gave me a little more courage, then, for innocence, I find, in a low fortune, and weak mind, has many advantages over guilt, with all its riches and wisdom. So I said, your honour may call this jest or sport or what you please but indeed sir it is not a jest that becomes di the distance between a master and a servant do you hear mrs jervis said he do you hear the pertinence of the creature i had a good deal of this sort before in the summer-house and yesterday too which made me rougher with her than perhaps i had otherwise been says mrs jervis pamela don't be so pertinent to his honour you should know your distance. You see his honour was only in jest. Oh, dear Mrs. Jervis, said I, don't you blame me too. It is very difficult to keep one's distance to the greatest of men, when they won't keep it themselves to their meanest servants. See again, said he, would you believe this of the young baggage, if you had not heard it? Good, your honour, said the well-meaning gentlewoman. Pity and forgive the poor girl, she is but a girl and her virtue is very dear to her. And I will pawn my life for her, she will never be pert to your honour, if you'll be so good as to molest her no more, nor frighten her again. You saw, sir, by her fit, she was in terror. She could not help it, and though your honour intended her no harm, yet the apprehension was almost death to her, and I had much ado to bring her to herself again. Oh, the little hypocrite, said he, she has all the arts of her sex they were born with her and i told you a while ago you did not know her but this was not the reason principally of my calling you before me together i find i am likely to suffer my reputation by the perverseness and folly of this girl she has told you all and perhaps more than all nay i make no doubt of it and she has written letters for i find she is a mighty letter-writer to her father and mother, and others as far as I know, in which, representing herself as an angel of light, she makes her kind master and benefactor a devil incarnate. Oh, how people will sometimes, thought I, call themselves by the right names. And all this, added he, I won't hear, and so I am resolved she shall return to the distresses and poverty she was taken from, and let her be careful how she uses my name with freedom when she has gone from me. I was brightened up at once by these welcome words, and I threw myself upon my knees at his feet with a most sincere glad heart, and I said, May your honour be forever blessed for your resolution. Now I shall be happy, and permit me, on my bended knees, to thank you for all the benefits and favours you have heaped upon me. For the opportunities I have had of improvement and learning, through my good lady's means and yours, I will now forget all your honour has offered me, and I promise you that I will never let your name pass my lips, but with reverence and gratitude, 
and so God Almighty bless your honor forever and ever. Amen. Then rising from my knees, I went away with another guy, sort of heart that I came into his presence with. And so I fell to writing this letter, and thus all is happily over. And now, dearest father and mother, expect to see soon your poor daughter, with a humble and dutiful mind, returned to you. And don't fear, but I know how to be as happy with you as ever. For I will be in the loft, as I used to do, and pray let my little bed be got ready, and I have a small matter of money which will buy me a suit of clothes, fitter for my condition than what I have. And I will get Mrs. Mumford to help me to some needlework, and fear not that I shall be a burden to you, if my health continues. I know I shall be blessed, if not for my own sake, for both your sakes, who have in all your trials and misfortunes preserve so much integrity as makes everybody speak well of you both. But I hope he will let good Mrs. Jervis give me a character, for fear it should be thought that I was turned away for dishonesty. And so, my dear parents, may you be blessed for me, and I for you, and I will always pray for my master and Mrs. Jervis. So good night, for it is late, and I shall soon be called to bed." I hope Mrs. Jervis is not angry with me. She has not called me to supper, though I could eat nothing if she had. But I make no doubt I shall sleep purely to-night, and dream that I am with you in my dear, dear happy loft once more. So good-night again, my dear father and mother, says your poor, honest daughter. Perhaps I mayn't come this week, because I must get up the linen and leave and order everything belonging to my place. So send me a line, if you can, to let me know if I shall be welcome by John, who will call for it as he returns. But say nothing of my coming away to him as yet, for it will be as said I blab everything. Letter 17 My dearest daughter, welcome, welcome, Ten times welcome shall you be to us, for you come to us innocent and happy and honest, and you are the staff of our old age and our comfort, and though we cannot do for you as we would, yet fear not we shall live happily together. And what with my diligent labor, and your poor mother's spinning, and your needlework, I make no doubt we can do better and better. Only your poor mother's eyes began to fail her though I bless God, I am as strong and able, and willing to labor as ever. And, oh, my dear child, your virtue has made me, I think, stronger and better than I was before. What blessed things are trials and temptations, when we have the strength to resist and subdue them. But I am uneasy about those same four guineas. I think you should give them back again to your master. And yet I have broken them. Alas, I have only three left, but I will borrow the fourth, if I can, part upon my wages, and part of Mrs. Mumford, and send the whole sum back to you, that you may return it against John comes next, if he comes again before you. I want to know how you come. I fancy honest John will be glad to bear your company part of the way, if your master is not so cross as to forbid him. And if I know time enough, your mother will go one five miles, and I will go ten on the way, or till I meet you as far as one holiday will go. 
for that I could get leave to make on such an occasion. And we shall receive you with more pleasure than we had at your birth, when all the worst was over, or than we ever had in our lives. And so God bless you until the happy time comes. Say both your mother and I, which is all at present, from your loving parents. Letter 18 Dear Father and Mother, I thank you a thousand times for your goodness to me, expressed in your last letter. And I long to get my business done, and come to my new old lot again, as I may call it. I have been quite another thing since my master has turned me off. And as I shall come to you an honest daughter, what pleasure it is to what I should have had, if I could not have seen you but as a guilty one. Well, my writing time will soon be over, and so I will make use of it now, and tell you all that has happened since my last letter. I wondered Mrs. Jervis did not call me up to sup with her, and feared she was angry, and when I had finished my letter I longed for her coming to bed. At last she came up, but seemed shy and reserved, and I said, My dear Mrs. Jervis, I am glad to see you. You are not angry with me, I hope. She said she was sorry things had gone so far, and that she had a great deal of talk with my master after I was gone, that he seemed moved at what I said, and at my falling on my knees to him, and my prayer for him at my going away. He said I was a strange girl he knew not what to make of me. And is she gone, said he? I intended to say something else to her, but she behaved so oddly that I had not power to stop her. She asked, if she should call me again. He said yes, and then, no, let her go. It is best for her and me too, and she shall go now that I have given her warning. Where she had it I can't tell, but I ever met with a fellow of her in many life and in the age. She said he had ordered her not to tell me all, but she believed he would never offer anything to me again, and I might stay, she fancied, if I would beg it as a favor, though she was not sure neither. I stayed, Miss, dear Mrs. Jervis, said I. Why, it is the best news that could have come to me that he will let me go. I do nothing but long to go back again to my poverty and distress, as he threatened I should. For though I am sure of the poverty, I shall not have half the distress I have had for some months past, I assure you. Mrs. Jervis, dear good soul, wept over me, and said, Well, well, Pamela, I did not think I shown so little love to you, that you should express so much joy upon leaving me. I am sure I never had a child half so dear to me as you are. I went to hear her so good to me, as indeed she has always been, and said, What would you have me do, my dear Mrs. Jervis? I love you next to my own father and mother, and to leave you is the chief concern I have at quitting this place. But I am sure it is certain ruin if I stay. After such offers and such threatenings, and is comparing himself to a wicked ravisher in the very time of his last offer, and turning it into a jest, that we should make a pretty story in a romance. How can I stay and be safe? Has he not demeaned himself twice? And he behoves me to be aware of the third time, for fear he should lay his snare surer, for perhaps he did not expect a poor servant would resist her master so much and must it not be looked upon as a sort of warrant for such actions, if I stay after this? For, I think, 
when one of our sex finds she is attempted is an encouragement to the attempter to proceed if one puts oneself in the way of it when one can help it tis neither more nor less than inviting him to think that one forgives what in short ought not to be forgiven which is no small countenance to foul actions i assure you she hugged me to her and said i'll assure you pretty face where goddest thou all thy knowledge and thy good notions at these years thou art a miracle for thy age and i shall always love thee but do you resolve to leave us pamela yes my dear mrs jervis said i for as matters stand how can i do otherwise but i'll finish the duties of my place first if i may and hope you'll give me a character as to my honesty that may not be thought i was turned away for any harm ay that i will said she i will give thee such a character as never a girl of thy years deserved and i am sure said i i will always love and honour you as my third best friend wherever i go or whatever becomes of me and so we went to bed and i never waked till twas time to rise which i did as blithe as a bird and went about my business with great pleasure but i believe my master is fearfully angry with me for he passed by me two or three times and would not speak to me and towards evening he met me in the passage going into the garden and said such a word to me as i never heard in my life from him to man woman or child for first he said this creature is always in the way i think i said standing up as close as i could and the entry was wide enough for a coach too i hope i shan't be long in your honour's way demnia said he that was the hard word for a little witch i have no patience with you i profess i trembled to hear him say so but i saw he was vexed and as i am going away i minded it the less well i see my dear parents that when a person will do wicked things it is no wonder he will speak wicked words may god keep me out of the way of them both you dutiful daughter end of section two